As we pass through life, we pass through different stages. Each of these stages creates new aspects in our personalities, mannerisms and character. Through all these changes, we do hold a number of things close to us. One of the things about your life you can never change is where you come from. It is a constant given to you through chance. But what if this constant was centered to your being regardless of the changes you were to go through? What if you had entirely changed as a person? Changed your name, changed your beliefs and changed your appearance? Would your home still carry a value for you which could not be quantified? Would it always remain the centre of who you are? It is a man from Dublin who answers these questions for us. This is his story. In Dublin, in 1856, a man was born. His name, Lawrence Carroll. He was born into the slums of Dublin, a city still recovering just years after the end of the Great Famine. The city was not equipped for the arrival of children like Lawrence. Diseases swept their way across the city, taking with them as many people as they could. The people were beaten down by life and politics. The Young Irelanders' rebellion had failed, and its leaders, seeking to liberate Ireland, were sent to Australia, never to return again. Lawrence struggled his way through his early years, begging and stealing his way through survival. He eventually raised enough money to be able to board a ship and headed for Liverpool. Here he worked in the docks for some years, gaining a great physical strength to go to his pre-developed mental strength. After some time, he learned of a ship headed for America, and how it was looking for strong men to work the coals in the engine. Lawrence obliged and headed, like hundreds of thousands of his countrymen and women, to America. Here he hoped he could get a career for himself and build a life. Upon reaching America, Lawrence found work on the railway lines through the Irish support networks looking after their own. This was a common role for the Irish in America, as 10,000 Irishmen were reported as having worked from coast to coast laying tracks used across the continent. Scale for the gear. Between 1845 and 1900, it is estimated that up to 6 million Irish people landed on the east coast of America. They more often than not picked up work on building sites, mines and primarily in labour roles due to their lack of skills outside of farming which was not massively required. The railway lines, which are still used today, were being built at the time. The Irish, working with the Chinese, built these massive networks piece by piece. Whilst others designed the networks and planned their routes, it was Irish hands which created them. The work was incredibly hard. Very few modern tools were available and it required a lot of brute force. Not only was it physically difficult, but it also required great mental resilience. Working on the railway lines meant you were always on the move. Wherever the furthest bit of the track was, was where you were. These were not men who had homes, apart from the makeshift camps they built at night to stay in. Many had left Ireland a few years before their families and landed in America to try and create a life with their family who would follow later. But given communication networks were not what they are today, it was difficult to plan this out. Often the wife of the Irishman would pick a date in the future when she would join him in America with their children, and arrive on that date two or three years later when they could afford it. They would not have communicated between the day he left and the day she would arrive. The husbands would spend weeks on end going to the docks 
in the hope that one day their wives would arrive to join them. They did not even know if they'd survived the famine. The same was true for the wife. She would arrive hoping that things had worked out for her husband and they would be coming to some sort of improvement in life. They would also desperately hope he was still alive on the other side when she would arrive. Given the violence against Irish in America at the time, more often than not, they would arrive not to be greeted by anyone, only to find a death notice at his last known address. For the railway line workers, however, there was a very different challenge. As they would be wherever the work would take them, often their wives would arrive on the east coast whilst they were somewhere in the middle of America and had no way of getting back. Letters would often be placed in Irish community newsletters, asking had anyone seen their husband and his last known location, in the hope someone might have some information on him, or be able to point them in a direction to find each other. More often than not, a response was not received, and both would be lost to each other forever. The Irishmen on the railway lines laid over 2,000 miles of railroad through mountains and over valleys. Their skin would blister and burst in the sun, but it would not slow them down. The longer they complained, the longer it would take them to do the job. A team of just eight men set a world record for the most mounted track laid in a working day before modern tools. They put down 3,520 rails covering eight miles in a single day. When they reached the west coast and had no more track to lay, they once again looked to the ships. In the late 1870s, Lawrence arrived in California, having started on the railroad tracks in New York. He had met some Chinese people along the way, who he was able to communicate with, and they taught him of Asia. It was a place Lawrence never heard of, filled with people he had never seen the likes of before. His sense of adventure got the better of him, and instead of taking the fishing route out of California, Lawrence decided he wanted to work on the Trans-Pacific Liners, he wanted to see even more of the world. After some years working hard in this route, Lawrence again wanted to see more. He got off a ship in Japan, gathered everything he could, and hitched his way by boat, cart, and even foot to Myanmar, an 11-hour flight if he had the option today. Whilst he was there, he witnessed a foe from his old life in Ireland. He saw the British Empire conquer Upper Burma after the Third Anglo-Burmese War and enslave its people, as it had done to his home. Here, he decided his body had been used enough as a tool, and he decided to exercise his mind. He worked as a tally clerk in a logging firm. Whilst working here, he found a strange people in the city who followed a strange religion. He found the Burmese Buddhist monks. Fascinated by their way of life, he began asking questions about them and the local people taught him of their ways. In 1899, Lawrence's curiosity became all-consuming and he was ordained as a novice monk under the name U Damaloka. He was the first non-Asian person ever to do so. He began working as a teacher in the local area, and due to his drive to learn more and his work rate, in 1900 he gained the status of senior monk in the monastery. In 
This new senior role took him throughout Burma, spreading his teachings with all those who would listen. Although he had transformed his life across the world and was never going to return home to Ireland, he never forgot his roots and remained incredibly proud of his home. Everywhere he went, he was referred to as the Irish Buddhist, a title he celebrated and at times insisted on. On his travels, he started becoming increasingly aware of British Christian missionaries working in the same areas he was in, and remembering the horrors of the Irish suffering for being the wrong type of Christian in the eyes of their oppressors. Lawrence became very outspoken against any form of Christianity coming to his new home. It was in doing so, he became a massively important figure in Southeast Asia. He wrote an article in a local newspaper forbidding Christian missionaries to distribute tracts in Burma. When that went largely unnoticed, he wrote a public declaration warning Buddhists of the threats of Christians and how they would pose threats to their lives, their religion and their way of life. In 1902, he was being watched closely by the British authorities in Burma as he went about his work preaching. As he entered the pagoda, a place of worship for his new people, he noticed one of the British police officers following him had not taken their shoes off. This was a hugely contentious issue, as it was seen in the culture to be incredibly insulting not to remove your shoes when entering the pagoda. It was a massive sign of disrespect and Lawrence was outraged. He confronted the officer in English and launched a verbal attack against his way of life and how they were building their empire on the bodies of millions of innocent people in order to feed the egos at the top levels of society. He roared at the officer that he had sold his soul to a crown which does not value his life and he was a pawn that could be put to the slaughter at any point if it meant they could consume more from the poor of the world. As he tore into the officer, a crowd started to form and the people of Burma had an internal fuse lit in their souls. He shouted. The Empire had taken all of Burma from the Burmese, and they now desire to trample on their religion. The Irishman, now the hero of the Burmese people, had awoken their inner pride, and they were not going to be subjects of the Crown, which barely knew they existed. They were not going to be ruled over any longer. After his outburst, Lawrence was arrested for sedition, accused of inciting people to rebel against the authority of the state through speech. Due to public pressures, he was not sentenced for this. His celebrity status rose and he continued to travel across the region, inspiring the people to reject the British authorities' rule and to remember their culture. It was this fuse that Lawrence lit, which spread like wildfire across Myanmar and led to the birth of the Burmese rebels, the freedom fighters, and led to the liberation of Myanmar. Lawrence, or Damaloka as they called him, would be the people's hero. His name chanted during battles. His image was displayed across the region as an inspiration as they fought the empire. When it became unsafe for him to stay in Myanmar, he traveled to Singapore, Japan, Siam and Nepal warning all of the dangers of the British Empire and the Christian missionaries. Hundreds of thousands would come to hear the Irish Buddhist monk speak. He warned the missionaries 
would likely carry a Bible, a bottle of whiskey, and a gun. And none of these were weapons to be trusted. Each would lead to a different death. He returned to Burma in 1907 and continued to preach until 1910. In 1910, he was again charged for sedition, but when no witnesses would come forward, the charge was lowered to a lesser version of the law, where witnesses were not required to persecute. It is not certain what happened next in Lawrence's life, but it appears he was helped escape Burma by some friends, as he is reported to having lived in Melbourne, Australia in 1912, where he was reported to have died. Today's music was written, performed and produced by Ryan O'Halloran. We the Irish is an Ireland Loves production. If you want to help support the podcast, we would greatly appreciate if you could donate the cost of a pint or a coffee to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash irelandloves. Ornus Anandum, Gurv Magat, Slaninish.